Welcome to Candid Conversations about Home Health, a podcast jointly produced by NAC, the National Association for Home Care and Hospice, and HHFMA, the Home Care and Hospice Financial Managers Association. This podcast series is moderated by Cindy Kraft and Karen Vance. Episode 2, Technology Options for Rehab, More Than Just the Telephone. Our guest today is Sean Peggy, a PTA from Kansas City with over 12 years experience in a variety of practice settings. Hello, this is Cindy Kraft, joined today by Karen Vance and a guest that we will introduce you to in just a little bit. We hope that your day is going well or well, all things considered, and that our time together today will educate, inspire, and maybe just a little bit entertain you as we try to get our arms around some of the important issues currently facing home health at this time. So Karen, with everything going on, there's been a lot of discussion about technology options in home care or, you know, different things we can do to interact with our patients or monitor our patients. But you and I have been in this industry a long time. I'm, I'm not even going to say how long. Um, but when I say telehealth to you, because we, we've been around since, you know, the first telehealth showed up. But when I say telehealth to you, what comes to mind? What, what does telehealth mean when I say that word? What it means to me is on a couple of different levels. Number one, what it has been traditionally, uh, how it has been traditionally applied up to this point in time with the uh, large machines planted in patients' homes and a bank of nurses looking at a bank of monitors. With that remote patient monitoring, what I have experienced in my uh, long history is that Health has been managed for the patient by way of these machines. So the second level, the way I would like to think of telehealth, is that the monitoring, no matter what type of technology is being used, but the monitoring be used more in uh, an application of assisting the patient with education and pointing out that when you see these numbers, they mean certain things. When you see these numbers, it means you have the opportunity to possibly influence those numbers, even by your behavior, not just by calling the physician and getting a new uh, prescription for furosemide, for example. So I really look at it from the perspective of what it has been, but what I really hope it can be in the future. So your answer has your OT showing because that clearly <laughs> sounded like you, you want something that will help with self-management as opposed that to, right. you know, somebody sitting and taking care of it from afar. I know that for me, right. my introduction was they had a vendor come into our agency and talk about these machines. Um, and they had a, a graphic. So they had a 30-day calendar of, you know, white squares. And then they had a nurse and they were very clear it was a nurse two days a week. So you had eight squares with this happy, smiley nurse graphic and then all this blank space. And it was saying, see, if you really only look at the time the nurse is in the home, then you have all this other time the patient isn't interacting with, with the nurse. And then the second graphic had the machine on all of those days. 
and then the nurse visits in there and saying, see how much more interaction you have and the ability to monitor your patients. And I remember sitting there going, oh, I, I get it. I mean, this looks, I'm, I can follow this graphic. This looks much better that you're having all of these different touches with the patient. But then I, you know, had to ask the question of, well, wouldn't therapy be part of this? And kind of got a blank stare because, you know, these are vital signs. That's a nurse thing. And then I said, well, why would we not use these in the infamous therapy-only cases? I mean, give me some of those. I'd I'd like to know that stuff about my patient. And dead silence. I heard a term recently, Karen, and I'm going to share it with you, um, and I love it. It says, you know, how in some agencies things can tend to be nursing forward. I like that term. Um, and we kind of forget other disciplines at times. And so I left that meeting thinking, no, this is pretty cool. I mean, I think we should use this kind of thing. It makes sense. But what was interpreted from that is what caused me concern was we should get these things so the nurse goes less. This was not about the nurse using that data to make a good decision about going to see the patient when there's a problem or being able to see information over time. It was a very clear payment-driven issue in the prospective payment system because more nursing visits didn't get you paid more. And so how do we utilize this technology to keep them out of the home, to reduce our cost, which is the other reason why they were hesitant to have therapy use it because it was, oh, gosh, if you use it, will therapists go less? And in the previous payment model, you know as well as I do, they didn't want that because therapy visits did get us paid better. So I see a lot of kind of this feeling that telehealth is a way to take away from clinician interaction, to do something that keeps us out of the home and is very confined to the lane of vital sign management. What do you think the pandemic now on top of this has done to these conversations about utilizing technology, Karen? Well, I think in the beginning, um, like February, March, it was um, a little bit more alarmist than it it has kind of uh, developed throughout the course of the the summer. I think people got a little bit more comfortable with seeing the advantage of technology to increase the safety, decrease the exposure, and still get patients moving forward toward their um, toward their outcomes. So I think there's been a little bit of uh, uh, morphing as the pandemic has kind of settled in with our with our society, and I think people are are doing a little bit better job of not just reducing visits but improving the care. And and to that end, um, I want to bring our guest into the conversation because Karen and I could talk all day about all kinds of stuff, but we want to bring guests to this conversation that have experience that adds value to the conversation. So, Sean, um, I want to welcome you to our conversation today. Can you give us, our listeners, just a little bit of information about yourself um, and then kind of talk about your view of the use of technology in the home health setting. Hey, uh, first off, thanks for having me. Um, appreciate it. Yeah, my name is Sean Hagee. I'm a physical therapist assistant and by training, worked in a variety of settings but the last six plus years in home health, worked for a variety of agencies, both in patient care and doing quality assurance type of work. And for the last four years, I've also worked with a 
telehealth company called Inhand Health to help, for, you know, create some content, patient education resources um, that was initially more therapy-driven but has since kind of morphed into uh, multidiscipline stuff as well. Um, yeah, it's interesting. The things you brought up, you know, most people think that have been in in this business for a while, telehealth is telephone health, which was really our only technology option for the longest time. But, you know, as, as things have grown and we've gone from the hardware type devices that you mentioned, you know, we're, we're now into a more advanced phase of telehealth where it's not as hardware dependent. Um, there are software options that can be used on a variety of mobile devices for example. So it doesn't require um, buying really expensive gadgets as much as using the, the tools that many patients and caregivers already have access to in their homes. So, you know, that, and, and now as this pandemic has gone along, you know, we've, we've come into doing video telehealth, virtual visits, all those sorts of things. You know, the, the opportunities have, have kind of come along quickly, uh, the industry kind of dragged their feet on a lot of technology advancement. Um, healthcare is like that, as you well know, very reactive instead of proactive. But I think the, the pandemic has really forced the issue and forced this conversation to start to actually take place. Well, Sean, you and I talked before our, our time together today, and, and I want to welcome you to the club that Karen and I have been in for quite some time, which is you say something over and over and over, and it doesn't seem to get very far, and then suddenly everybody's into it. Because you just said you were dealing with this for four years. You've been involved with this particular project. So for four years, you were advocating why this kind of technology could supplement visits, and particularly when you're talking about technology in the rehab space, there has not been much attention to that in home health. Again, on the concern that if you put in that technology, then would the therapist go less often and then the financial implications. So PDGM took care of that element. But tell us a little bit about how it went from kind of yelling in the wind almost about this option to what you experienced over this past summer. Yeah, it is It is kind of a bit bizarre for for three, maybe even three and a half years, feeling like you're yelling into the void about the importance of something because there's a lot of data that shows better outcomes, you know, better patient satisfaction. There's, you know, people like researcher Dr. Jason Falvey can speak more on the, the nuances of that. But, um, you know, isn't that what we want, better outcomes? You know, and people just eh, drag their feet and, and then this pandemic hits. And now people are running around basically screaming with their hair on fire. We need to do something now. We need to, why haven't we done something? And um, the irony isn't lost on me. Uh, and I, I don't want to be the type of person that says, I told you so. But let's take this opportunity now. Um, because some people are just running around panicking and just trying to slap things together. And it's really short-sighted. I'm not thinking about long-term. Um, usage. I think some people are under the impression that this is just going to sweep by as quickly as it came. Um, but, you know, we need to actually kind of take a look in the mirror and say, how did we get here? Okay, now what do we do getting for going forward? Well, kind of along the lines of, of what Karen brought up earlier, I think some of it has been 
shifting the viewpoint from monitoring, almost like a police state, to self-management. So how does, and again, I just want to clarify for our, our listeners, this is not an infomercial for a specific product, but this is a great example of a product that fits with this self-management idea. So can you share with us, John, a couple of the things that when you talk about patient and engagement or participation that this kind of technology allows them to do that they're not really able to do as well otherwise? Well, I think one of the things that was mentioned earlier um, is, the benefit of technology is in patient education, caregiver education. I know, uh, Cindy, I know you've done enough startup cares in your life that that patient is just drinking from the fire hose. All this information from the hospital, it's all overwhelming. There's a bunch of paperwork that, that they already have a huge stack from the hospital. Things get lost, buried, forgotten. Um, the, the benefit of having this technology is that you know, when you have it, you know, like, let's say, on an app type of device where they can log into, uh, they can view that education as many times as they need to whenever they want. Caregivers can view it as well. So if you're talking about how to care for, um, you know, like a, a pick line or how to do a safe transfer or how to do various functional activities or, um, you know, education on certain medications that can be accessible for the patient at any time, whenever they need. You don't have to go digging around for it. Um, there's those types of things. The patient monitoring doesn't have to, along those lines, doesn't have to be specifically about vitals. It can be how they're doing with their exercises. Are they doing their exercises? Are they having problems with them? There's ways that they can report that, hey, I'm having a problem with this one, and um, give an opportunity for the, the clinician to say, oh, why don't you try it this way instead, or skip that one, we'll remove that and we'll find something better for you. Um, ways to have that kind of a communication quickly instead of having to wait maybe until the next week so the patient is just kind of left working through stuff over the weekend and frustrated or having problems. You know, you can address things as they come up um, quickly. You know, in the case of post-surgical patients, we've all had them call us two days later in a state of panic, you know, certain that they have an infection. Um, it's red. It's draining. Like, you know, I, I'm going to have to have it amputated. You know, just this panic in their voice. And, and instead of having to make an emergency visit out there, you can communicate in ways, audio, video, send you pictures, all HIPAA compliant. So that way you can say, oh, this is an urgent issue. I need to come see you today and move things around. Or, you know, no, that actually that's that's normal, and I'll I'll see you tomorrow. Or, you know, different ways that you can kind of triage those situations that weren't available to us previously. So the patient feels like they have a little bit more um, connection to the clinicians. There's more kind of coordination amongst the disciplines. Um, you know, everybody can be on the same page a little bit better because, as we all know, EMRs are notoriously really cumbersome. I've worked with a handful of different ones. And it's not always easy to see what's happening where and, you know, without having to dig through stuff. So, you know, a lot of platforms are, are able to consolidate that information a lot better so that even the patient can view how they're doing over time. Um, that kind of helps with the accountability and encouragement on, the, on their part to follow through. 
Sean, I'm, I'm curious, you mentioned um, a little bit of that communication between disciplines. Are you seeing um, an increase in that type of sharing of the information since it's so readily available? And Cindy mentioned kind of in the intro is, you know, the um, telehealth has always been back in the day. It was always just um, just those vital signs, and and you're saying you know we can even see whether or not people are doing their exercises, or even better, whether or not they're achieving the results from either their exercises or whatever other kinds of strategies that therapists might be uh, providing to a patient. Do you? See See that kind of communication between the disciplines on um, what might need to be reinforced a little bit more with the patient? Yeah, it, it, in the end, it's up to the clinicians, and so there's a ton of variability. You know, we all know clinicians who are really good at when they leave a patient's house with a concern, they call that other discipline who they know is going to be in next and say, "Hey, this is the problem I'm seeing." You know, some of these telehealth platforms and solutions allow that communication to take place more asynchronously, electronically, so that way there's kind of a, a, a note there that the, the next clinician can see um, it sticky and say, hey, these are the problems I saw. Can you take a, you know, take a look at it as well, see if you're noting it as well? Um, so there's a lot, of, a lot of different features and options available, uh, you know, unfortunately in a, in a practical sense. It's up to clinicians or maybe the agency admins to really reinforce having having those kinds of things. But the the availability is there to really improve that that case communication across the board in a way that can be you know part of the patient's record and chart so that you can see this communication taking place and um, you know be able to to follow it. Sean, so you're saying the the information's there. It's really only as useful as the clinicians engaging in it um, and improving their decision-making. But what would you say to someone who goes, you know, that's interesting, Sean, but, you know, we're dealing with an older patient population in home health. That sounds like something, you know, outpatient therapy or, you know, the physician's office may employ with patients. But we got some, you know, old people and some really old people, and I don't think that they'd be okay with this, that they'd they, they'd want to do this kind of thing or know how. How would you respond to that? That's probably the most common thing that I, I hear is kind of a an ageist kind of view on technology. And, and while there are a lot of older adults who are Luddites and don't want to embrace any type of technology, the, uh, the numbers are actually pretty staggering. There's not a whole lot of solid things that you can point to. You know, Pew Research has some stuff from a few years ago, but um, just this week, I came across an AARP study that showed that smartphone ownership for ages 60 to 69 is 81%, and 70 and above is 62%. That's just smart smartphones. So, you know, there's also tablets available, and I, I don't know if you've been into any adult older adults' homes uh, recently, but uh, everybody has a tablet. They check their social media on there. They, you know make purchases on Amazon from there, uh, keep up with friends and, and relatives. They know how to do FaceTime and, and those types of things already and and really enjoy it. Uh, 
and that number is just going to continue to rise and rise. Um, there's also in that same AARP study showed you know increasing uh, interest from those same older adults for um, ways to manage their health through technology, whether it's medication reminders, uh, allowing providers to view that kind of progress they're making and, and uh, consistency, even the video conferencing virtual visit options as well. You know, I think a lot of the older adults that are more afraid of being kind of exposed in this COVID world are even more open to, okay, if I can't get in and see my doctor, then I'm definitely interested in doing telehealth and in doing a video visit. And so that just also reinforces what we're doing in the home health space as well, to be able to use that technology that they already have um, to communicate with them. We're going to get better, wouldn't you say, Sean, as us baby boomers end up being that older adult population? Oh, yeah, I mean, I mean, the the Pew research from the from like uh, 2017 showed that, you know, the ownership, smartphone ownership, in like five years went from like 15 percent to 60 percent. Obviously, now it's we're at 2020, so it's even even higher than that, and so that's just going to continue to get more and more prevalent. Well, thank you, Sean, for for giving us you know food for thought. I think that you know I know that there's still a lot of of challenging things associated with the pandemic, but I think it's also created opportunities to reevaluate what our options are. And with telehealth, our goal today was to kind of get us away from the it's a visit replacement or it's a nursing thing or it's a monitoring of vitals thing or it's a temporary thing. And, you know, this was just because of the pandemic. And then after that, we'll just go back to what we used to do. But we really need to look at these as tools to improve how we're delivering care. And and I know the elephant in the room, if we had, you know, an hour and a half to keep talking, which I know you don't want to listen to, but is, well, is this paid for? I think, you know, there's battles to be fought with respect to legislation about, you know, payment related to health, to telehealth. But we know that in 2021, for the final rule, we can report costs associated with telehealth so that CMS can start to gather data about what payment for that going forward may look like. So what we want to caution folks is if we just say, I won't do it till Medicare pays for it, we may die on the vine with that because they'll say, well, we don't know what to base that on. So sticking our toe out a bit, looking at some of these, especially least less expensive software options versus having to buy a ton of equipment um, can really help position us well to survive the, the remainder of the acute phase of the pandemic and really shape our care for years to come. So thank you both to Sean and Karen and I will be signing off for today's session um, and look forward to future conversations and other guests. Thank you for listening to Candid Conversations About Home Care, a podcast jointly produced by NAC and HHFMA. For more information, visit our website at www.nahc.org.